Welcome to another edition of the CTS NetBeat podcast. My name's Joel Dunning and I bring you all the greatest and latest news and everything that's great in cardiothoracic surgery. This week, uh, we've got another packed edition. We've got a very interesting domino heart transplant in two tiny infants in New York. We've got really interesting insights into coronary vascular disease. We've got videos on auxiliary cannulation, robotic biomectomy, and Joe Bavaria gives an amazing masterclass uh, about uh, aortic surgery. And really big news, there is a fantastic huge guideline all about choice of conduit in cardiac surgery so don't go away we'll tell you about all what's latest and greatest in the CTS NetBeat podcast. Thank you uh, loyal friends uh, for tuning in to our CTS NetBeat podcast. We've got a really packed edition today. And the absolute highlight, I think, of the week is the fantastic uh, guideline uh, by EAX and the STS jointly. It's called an expert systematic review on the choice of conduit for CABG. Uh, Now, I have uh, done quite a few guidelines. I've been on 18 guidelines and written nine as first author. And so uh, I do read a lot of guidelines. I read really bad guidelines, so the 2021 REVAS guidelines by the ACC and the 2022 stable coronary guidelines have made big, big mistakes. They were really wordy, uh, they were, you know, overlong, difficult to penetrate. These are the absolute op- opposite. This is a fantastic guideline. It's so readable, it's so useful, uh, and as a surgeon, you know, you just want to read every single word. So, so massive congratulations to the authors. So if you actually look at the author list, it is a who's who of revascularization. We've got Mario Gaudino, first author, Faisal Bakin with a huge history of guideline writing. Uh, we've got Joe Chikwi, uh, editor of the Annals. Uh, we've got Steve Freems. We've got uh, John Puskas with 30 years experience with Off Pump. Joe Sabic, David Taggart, the, the Rottweiler of uh, British revascularization who did the arts trial. James Tatoulis from Australia. Uh, Moritz von Balamus, brilliant brain from Europe. So they really have done such a good job. Now, why have they done such a good job? Because they have gone through every single issue that you want to know about when you're thinking about what conduit choice you're going to use in CABG. Uh, So well done to them. And I really encourage that you click on the uh, link. It's free full text. You can read it yourself. Uh, It will only take you 15 minutes, but I guarantee you will love it. So when you dig into it, uh, I just love each of the succinct chapters. Uh, One of my favorite chapters is Lima to LAD. It's like one paragraph. It's like Lima LAD, gold standard, always has been, always will be, done deal. Love that. Um, The second chapter is on the radial artery and they really nicely go through all the issues. So they talk about the studies looking at patency versus Vengroft and they demonstrate very clearly randomised data shows there's a better patency versus Vengroft and they quote those studies. They then look at long-term outcomes with the radial artery. Um, and uh, and they do mention that the long term uh, is also really very good. Um, they look at hand function after radial artery. They look at which proximal anastomosis is be- best. Do you put it on the aorta? Do you put it on the, on the lemur? target vessel. Do you want to target vessels with 70% stenosis or 90% stenosis? Harvesting method. Uh, Do you want to do endoscopically skeletonized or open? And should you use a radial artery if it's had uh, transradial catheterization recently? Um, 
Also, there's um, something on the use of calcium channels. They have really good little key message boxes as well. So if you're a bit time limited, just zip to those key messages. So the key messages about the radial artery is randomized data says they're better patency, um, endoscopic versus open, they're both good. Um, you should probably go for a vessel with uh, low competitive flow, more than 90% maybe, and uh, you should not use a radial artery after it's been had a radial angiogram, uh, which is like really important. And you should uh, use uh, a, a calcium channel bocker in the first year after a graft. Fantastic. They next move on to the REMA. Um, and, uh, and interestingly, uh, they, do they do look at the arts trial, David Taggart's arts trial. They show that actually there is not clear evidence uh, that there is better patency than a vein graft, but uh, there is observational evidence that a, that a RETA rather than a vein graft for CABG does have longer survival, uh, although the RCT was neutral. Um, they say that uh, beamer harvest uh, does increase your chance of deep sternal wound infection, so high-risk patients shouldn't have it. And really, um, the... Um, the target vessel um, should have good runoff and have a big myocardial area that they're perfusing. So again, really great. They've got a section on endoscopic vein harvest. I think this one's fascinating. Really, really good. Less leg, work, less leg wound complications, but, um, but there is some concerning data about reduced patency in, in the long term, although there is a larger... RCT that says no difference and they're actually saying please can we have a, a new study in this uh, our very own Professor Enoch Akko in Britain is trying to set up one of these studies and there's a lot of uh, interest around the world in setting uh, up an EVH versus open big RCT we really really need that and the guidelines call for it uh, a good section on no-touch technique for saphenous vein harvesting. I really like this one because the patency is really a lot better. Um, this has been shown in the Sweetheart database, uh, but um, that's not translated yet into better clinical outcomes. And the corollary of that is that the leg wound uh, uh, complication rate is higher. So again, that could be a good one for more trials, uh, but really interesting. If what you want is better patency, then we should be doing no-touch technique. Um, so that was interesting. Finally, they finish with a gastroepiploic artery um, section, which says there's limited data on it, uh, but, uh, but it does have improved outcomes in some observational series. And the final thing I love about this guideline is a beautiful visual abstract. I would recommend putting this on the wall of your operating room. It's really, really good. It's got nice little boxes all on one page, all in beautiful colour, all about everything I just described. So well done, everybody. Really, really good guideline. Check it out now. The second story we chose for you was just a real heartwarming, nice story, uh, and we just really liked it. Um, Andrew Goldstone at New York Presbyterian Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital, he also works at Beth Israel, um, is a paediatric surgeon. And this has really hit the media in New York because uh, he had a poor patient called Mia Scat. She's only 10 days old. She was really unwell. She had a cardiomyopathy. And unfortunately, born in September 2022, um, it looked like she needed a, a, a transplant and indeed she went on to his transplant list and then they waited for a stressful seven months and then after seven months waiting a heart came up now when uh 
when Andrew uh, got the call uh, to get a transplant, he suddenly thought, wait a sec, I've got another patient. Um, I've got another patient called Brooklyn Civil. She was born this year as well in March. She only had one heart valve. She had a common valve and needed to have uh, a second valve. But she's so small, she needs a living valve that might grow with her. And he thought, well, why don't I take the perfectly good valve out of Mia and put it in Brooklyn. And that's what he did. So there's some really beautiful uh, pictures on the story. It all went super well. And uh, and we're told that this is the first time that a domino transplant has been done uh, in children this young. So, so it went really nicely. And actually the two families are now all in contact together. Because if you think about it, it is pretty strange uh, being able to meet the baby that donated the heart valve uh, to your own child. So really heartwarming story dead cute so check on the link below if you want to find out more and finally we've chosen a really interesting article from circulation research the journal of the american heart association uh, michael widlansky uh, is a researcher uh, in uh, in coronary um, DNA and RNA analysis. But the reason we chose this is because it just seemed really practical. What they did is they took people having uh, balloon angioplasty and stenting, they just grabbed the balloon, uh, they put the balloon into a preservation liquid, then they took all the cells off the balloon that have come from the coronary plaque, and then they just did some smart sequencing. But the thing I liked about this is that the sequencing only cost $160. Uh, and then from that, they used the cyber sort analysis. Uh, they could identify 13 different uh, cell types uh, and 371 different genes. And what they did is they looked at two different types of plaques. They looked at patients whizzing in with acute coronary syndrome and they looked at people with stable plaques and they found some pretty interesting differences. They found a lot of neutrophils in the acute coronary syndrome compared to the stable plaques and, uh, and 371 genes were looking like they might be different between the two. Now, the interesting thing about this is maybe you could somehow determine whether plaques will be at high risk of rupture or not and whether you're going to decide whether to stent them or not. You might even be able to find the culprit plaque and things, and it might just be an interesting thing in the future. And the thing is, it's pretty cheap. So, so keep an eye out for this in the future because it might be something of the future. So that was our Jans content of the week. And I'm going to hand you over to the Jans office uh, and the CTSnet office to tell you what else you can find on CTSnet this week. Submissions are now open for CTSnet's annual innovation video competition. The competition rewards surgeons at the cutting edge of cardiothoracic surgery with a $1,000 cash prize, a prominent feature on CTSnet, and an exclusive interview with the judges. Submit your videos showcasing creative solutions, novel surgical approaches, and technological advances in CT surgery by August 31, 2023, for a chance to win. For more information, visit ctsnet.org slash innovation video competition. We've got three great videos for you this week. Uh, and the first one is by 
uh, the very fantastic uh, Shiguru Ahira at Westchester Medical Centre, the heartbeat of CTS Net, where they do so many brilliant videos for us. We're really, really pleased. And David Spielvogel's there as well. I think he might have done the procedure. Uh, and uh, this is in direct axillary artery cannulation. Safe, expeditious and hemostatic technique. Now they take us through in beautiful detail exactly how to do a, an auxiliary cannulation prior to aortic surgery. Um, it's really nice. They do it in a step-by-step -step approach and they also do a redo axillary artery cannulation as well to show us. So they show us exposing the axillary artery, getting some sloops around proximal and distal. Uh, they then uh, clamp proximally. They make a nice horizontal incision and they go for a direct cannulation. Now I know a lot of you might prefer to uh, suture a graft side to side on it so you get some arm perfusion but they say this is completely safe nice and easy use your standard cannula then there's no big piece of uh, dacron in in the uh, uh, axilla afterwards so they quite like this technique and it does look really smooth they caution not to push the cannula in more than three centimeters proximally they show really good flow and it look really really nice and also look really simple to close at the end they just used a load of 5-0 running proline to close it at the end look really really nice uh, also, I was interested to see how easy it looked for redo because obviously if somebody has arch surgery and then needs a second procedure for whatever, that's not uncommon these days. So great job. Check that out uh, if you do axillary artery cannulation. The second video we have for you is an absolute banger. Um, the Society of Cardiothoracic Surgery in the UK have videoed all their experts doing the university day and they're giving us access uh, to these videos. And so we've chosen this brilliant video, video by Joe Bavaria. Joe Bavaria needs no introduction. Uh, he comes from Pennsylvania. He is Mr. Aorta. And this really interesting talk is on the guidelines for ascending aortic replacement everything to do with every uh, criteria apart from size uh, which is quite interesting because I think we're all quite familiar with the standard size criteria 5.5 centimeters but he goes through in meticulous detail all the guidelines and tells you about what do you do if someone's got pain that in itself is an indication for replacing the ascending aorta he tells us about how commonly when he replaces someone who's got pain they find uh, holes in the aorta and, and little localized dissections so, you know, that was slightly news to me. I didn't to have that high up on my list. Uh, he tells us about the guidelines for aortic insufficiency, telling us about the two different guidelines, aortic guidelines versus valve replacement guidelines. And it's a risk factor for, um, for the ascending aorta. So you should replace earlier in those people. Um, he tells us about the root phenotype, what it actually looks at if it's right at the base of the root rather than the middle. Very interestingly, he goes through the data on aortic length. Uh, this was not something that was again on my radar, but if the um, aorta is longer than about 12 centimeters measured right from the middle, of the aorta from the commissure all the way to the enormous artery then that is a risk factor and he produces a table and he says in his clinic now he doesn't uh he, he actually now writes the um the the width as a factor of the length for risk factor as a routine in his clinic Family history is known to all of us, but he says now it's not just first degree relative, it's any relative, uh, especially people that die under the age of 50 in your family anywhere. Coarctation is a bad risk factor and it talks through genetics. 
uh, and obviously the common ones, Lois, Dietz, Marfans, etc. Really good job. And if you do aortic surgery or even just interested in knowing the criteria, I do encourage you to click on this really quite quick um, and very eloquent uh, presentation. The second video we've got for you today is uh, it's a really nice thoracic video. It's on bilateral thymectomy done robotically. This is by Mark Maxfield, narrated by Benjamin Paleko from the Massachusetts Medical School. Uh, it's, a, it's a case of a 67-year-old lady. She's got myasthenia gravis. And, uh, and so it's really important to take out all the thymus and all the thymic fat, especially the difficult bit, which is going on the diaphragm uh, and getting it uh, out from everywhere. And also the AP window. Uh, so these are the difficult bits. That's why the robotic technique really comes to the fore. And also, why not just do it bilaterally? The problem with doing a unilateral approach is that if you... If you're on the left, you can't see the right phrenic. If you're on the right, you can't see the left phrenic. So you've basically got two options. The option I do is subxiphoid because you can see both sides. Although I do admit it's a little bit difficult to get the fat off the uh, diaphragm both sides. And the alternative is this video, which is just go bilateral. Um, and, and they do a really nice video. They go on the left first so that they can make as much space as possible using the CO2. Uh, and you could just see the phrenic. There's no better view for the phrenic uh, than going on each side uh, and you can see this brilliantly of this video so they go on the left side interestingly uh, and I haven't seen this before they actually then divide the thymus in two and take out the left thymus and then close up go to the right side and take out the right sided thymus I thought that was interesting and original and I think you probably couldn't use that if there was a suspicion of a thymoma but that was the only comment I had from this video they go on the right take that all out really nicely and away you go four ports on each side uh, interestingly they briefly mentioned about doing a subxiphoid port for retrieval that's something I have done in the past done left and right but taken out the uh, thymus subxiphoid but they, it didn't suit them for this approach which I thought was interesting but check it out have a look there was no better view than this video if you're doing myasthenia gravis the final video we have uh uh, got for you. Uh, oh, those were the three videos, aren't I crazy? Um, the, the next thing we've got for you is what's great and good on the calendar this month. Um, I was looking at the schedule for the EAC segmentectomy webinar and I was really, really impressed. It's on Thursday, September the 7th, so it's in just under a month's time. Uh, the really nice thing, it's only two hours uh, and you can log in online right now. So I've done it. Uh, super simple and uh, and it's really good. It's only two hours, as I say. Um, it was set up by Giuseppe Cardillo um, and it's a, there's a real who's who list of people who are going to be on this. So um, David Waller's going to be on, Alan Silo from, from Hong Kong. Uh, uh, we've got Dominic Gusso uh, and uh, and loads more people. They're going to tell you all about simple segmentectomies, con complex segmentectomies. Well worth your while. There's a very small fee for it. Uh, it's only thirty euros. I think it's going to certainly be worth it. So check it out. It's on the EX uh, Academy website. On the EX website, check it out now. We've got on our website details for current paradigms in interventional pulmonology, EBUS and advanced bronchoscopy, ion bronchoscopy. I was interested to see that uh, in BARTS they've just started using the ion bronchoscope. I know it's been used for about a year or more in America and they've been doing one-stop techniques where you 
bring someone to the OR where you you take a biopsy, you wait to see if the biopsy is positive and it's positive, you turn them over and use the uh, intuitive robot to take uh, the actual cancer out. I, I'm really attracted to that, although it is very early days. At BOTS, they're just taking the first steps, but I know in America they're even doing that right now. Um, and uh, so if you want to know everything that's new and good about the uh, advanced bronchoscopy, then this webinar is on September the 8th. It's the Zuckerman Research Centre. Um, you can do virtual or in-person. They've actually got, if you're in-person, they've got a hands-on training lab. Uh, and if you just want to be virtual, you can sign on as well. $450 for physicians, $195 for, for uh, trainees and nurses. So check that out. And then the biggest news that's coming up uh, is my favourite course, uh, I think, in the world for a comprehensive summary of everything in heart and lung surgery, congenital transplant. It's the Birmingham Review course. It's the 21st to the 23rd of September. Uh, it's, of course, uh, at the Education Centre at the Birmingham Heartlands. It's been there for 30 years. It's the world's longest running course in cardiothoracic surgery. It attracts just everybody, all the best and greatest people in the world come and do talks here. They're so eloquent, it's only experts and it's designed for people to get through exams. So if you really want to uh, just do a one-stop course in everything, then there's no better place than, than coming here. So check it out, Bowman Rue course, September the 21st, the 23rd. We're going to be posting a few of their videos from last year on CTSnet and we hope to post this year's videos as well after the course. So that's everything on our calendar. Uh, I just want to do two more things. Uh, where's Diego, the world roving surgeon? Well, as you might recall, he was in Sierra Leone doing the first minimum invasive surgery, also the first tour of his foundation. And he took over uh, a special camera in a suitcase to do those operations. He's now flown over to China. Remember, he's going across four continents to 19 countries this month in, in August. And he was in Hubei province of China doing robotic uniportal surgery. Well done, Diego. And we'll check out where he is next week on this podcast. And finally, I'm going to do a slightly alternative honourable mention. Um, and I'm going to give honourable mention to our brand new Jans editors. Um, and uh, the, the guidelines in revascularization were actually posted by Jason Trevis. Jason Trevis is an up and coming cardiothoracic surgeon. And we've got a great new group of, uh, of new Jans editors, and they're going to post what they think the best articles are around the world every single week. Uh, and if you have any uh, young, keen surgeons or residents that would like to do the same, then we'd like to hear from you. For We'd like to um, get them posting. It's really good for their CV uh, and, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. So well done, Jason. Uh, he's actually one of our trainees up in Middlesbrough. He is going to be a shining star of the future. He's going to enter training very shortly. Uh, and I certainly hope he's going to do thoracic surgery. And, uh, and certainly maybe even come and work with us in the long term. So congratulations, Jason, and thank you very much for watching all the way to the end, CTSNS friends. It's been a pleasure spending 20 minutes with you, and I hope you tune in next week to hear what's great and good in the world of cardiothoracic surgery.